Hello and welcome to the Citizen Femme podcast, the show where we learn about the journeys of 12 inspirational people. Welcome to episode six. We have a superbly talented actor, director, writer extraordinaire and highly acclaimed Romola Gary with us. Romola, thank you so much for joining. You don't need an introduction, but please do a brief introduction of who you are. Thanks, uh, Sheena. My name is Romola Gary. I am an actor, writer, director. From when you were a child, did you dream of going into the arts, being an actor? Is that what was always kind of on the radar? Um, I think for for many years, I think I th- I thought that that was true. And then, I mean, when I became a mother myself, and particularly now my kids are, my daughter's nine. So, you know, I can really, you sort of really hark back to the period of your childhood you really remember. I think I realized that I was encouraged into it by my mother, particularly, who was a big uh, sort of fan of the arts, you know, she was a big reader, she loved culture, you know, theatre and poetry. And so we were taken to the theatre a lot. And, you know, it was always expect, I think she'd hoped that we'd take up an instrument, but you know, I didn't have any of the characteristics you need for a child to be good at uh, learning an instrument. I have absolutely no willpower, um, incredibly lazy and <laughs> all of those things. So, yeah, so so I, I ended up kind of sort of showing some ability in kind of speech and drama, which, you know, I was taken to private lessons and I did that. And then that kind of culminated in getting into the National Youth Theatre when I was about 14. And I think that's when my parents probably realized that that was something that was, you know, hard to get into. Um, and then when I went to do my A-levels, I got a bursary to a school in London where I could sort of do, you know, theatre studies A-levels. And I think my parents thought that there'd be more opportunity for me to like maybe become an actress. But I think myself, actually, I was a little bit unaware of all of that. And I'm not really sure I had any kind of great ambitions to be an actress um, uh, not, not that it was sort of imposed on me as such, but it was maybe, uh, more subtle than that. And that, that maybe they had aspirations for me to kind of fulfill, um, a talent that they thought I had. Um, and I kind of floated along with that. <laughs> so how is the National Youth Theatre? It is tremendously difficult to get into. How was that experience? I think it, it was positive. I think it's a great organisation. It does really important work. And I think, you know, now that there's such a focus on diversity of opportunity in the industry, um, you know, in racial and class, I think it's probably work, it's work is even more important now in terms of giving people an access to the industry and giving them some training early on in, in terms of what the industry sort of expects of you and demands of you. Um, I think I was a bit young I, I got in when I was 14, which is, is as young as you can be. And you have to go away for a month and kind of, I was with people who were quite a bit older than me. And I'm not sure that, yeah, I was a bit out of my depth, really, to be honest. I, my, my memories of it are quite unclear because I think I felt so often that I was, you know, I just didn't really know what I was doing there. And, you know, I had gone from sort of standing in front of people in a sort of Peter Pan collar reciting poetry to being in a room with 17 year or 18 year olds, you know, talking about their life experiences and doing Sarah Kane plays. And I think I was a bit, a bit out of my depth. Jumping from that into your, I mean, would you call this your first big break playing the young Judy Dench in The Last of the Blonde Bombshells? Would you call that your first break? And how was it? And what was it like working with Dame Judy? All of these questions. 
Yeah, it was definitely, it was the first uh, professional acting job I had. So yeah, it was a big break. I mean, it was a break in that I went from not being an actor to being an actor. I didn't have any lines. It was it was just sort of flashbacks in this um, made-for-TV film. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was sort of it was something that I I went into thinking that this was like a one-off um, unusual experience that would be a funny story that I would tell my friends because. I didn't really, I still hadn't really thought about becoming a professional actor. Like no one had actually had that conversation with me, you know, I'd not gone to see drama schools or like no one was kind of expressly saying you should be an actress, you know? So it was really extraordinary, but it was sort of a laugh, you know, I was like wearing the costumes and, you know, somebody gave me a call sheet and I didn't know what that was. And I was like, why do I have to get up so early? That was really weird. Um, but I think because of that, I maybe had quite a different energy to a lot of people who go into the industry and maybe that helped me. I don't know, because I just didn't really take it that seriously. And, um, I didn't work with Judy Dench really because I was playing essentially her role, you know, I was was playing a sort of younger version of her, but I did meet her and that was amazing because, you know, I'd never met anyone famous and she was really nice. It was cool. (laughs) So talking about getting into it, I mean, it's not stumbling because it's not at all stumbling. You're in National Youth Theatre and then obviously a fantastic first professional job. You were very young, though, 17 or 18, and perhaps that naivety works in your favour. But what would you say are some of the pros and cons of starting out so early? I think it's, it's a huge positive to be working at a younger age in an industry that really um you know skewed in the favor of of youth you know i had many very productive years you know between the ages of you know 17 when i started working um you know by the time i was 25 when a lot of people leave drama school you know i'd already been working snacks for 8 years you know so i feel like i've been around a long a long time and obviously seen the industry change hugely for the better i think um but there were definitely negatives i mean i i think it is a very complex industry i think particularly if you're a woman i can't even begin to imagine what that's like if you are not a white woman you know i think i was absolutely and totally unprepared for what the industry really was and i think i was quite shocked by it a lot of the time um I think that that there are pitfalls to being to tr- to trading in the way that you look. So as much as I'm sure, you know, being a young woman provided me with opportunities. You know, those opportunities come at a price. You know, and whether or not you're prepared to pay them and is entirely down to you as an individual. But yeah, I was pretty t- taken aback by by you know the commodification of your body which is a lot of what you do as an actor yeah and talking about that I mean you were you showed your support and your vocal about the me too movement and negative and awful experiences you'd had um where do you think the industry is now do you think there has been any change yeah I think there has for sure um I I can't imagine a scenario in you know the, the things that I experienced happening now um, under the kind of watchful eye of 
casting directors and producers. I don't I don't think that that would happen now. Maybe that's very naive of me, but um you know, a sort of rampant narcissist sex offender allowed to kind of run riot in the middle of the industry, I think there would potentially be um significantly more pushback <laughs> to that. Um but you know, it's not um we haven't sort of remade the world, have we? I mean, like, you know, there's still a lot of women working in an industry that is still extremely hard to progress in. And, you know, that therefore abuse will occur and that will probably carry on being the case. But I hope it doesn't, I hope it's not unsafe maybe in the way that it was. I mean, I certainly know that sex scenes, you know, I haven't had to do one recently because, um, yeah, I'm not sort of asked to. Like, but I have seen them and heard a lot about them being directed very differently, you know, and the fact that there is a very strong and clear distinction made between actors and sex workers, essentially, I think is important and very long overdue. Yeah, that's um, that's really important. And it does seem promising that there is some change. I think there's a long way off. But um, hopefully the fact that so many people like yourself have made noise about it and, you know, opened up about experiences means that people getting into the industry are more aware than, you know, they would have been when you'd started or I'd started or anyone um, being so unaware of these kind of experiences happening. Yeah, I hope so. But, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe if like Gen Z people were coming into the industry, they maybe wouldn't have put up with so much crap as well, you know, so maybe that change would have happened anyway. But um, yeah, I do think it's always important for just women to talk to each other. And that's, you know, that's what's happened. It's been a positive thing. Um, talking about some of the fab roles that you've had to play, have you have you got a favourite? Oh, yeah. I've been really, really fortunate and I've played some roles I've I've really loved. Um, I, I had an amazing experience making a BBC miniseries called The Crimson Petal and the White that was all about a Victorian prostitute. It's a contemporary novel, so it was a very sort of contemporary view on... Um, the sex industry and on relationships between men and women. And that's something that I've always been really fascinated in and by. And that was one of the best experiences I've, I've ever had. Um, it was just a fascinating experience, um, you know, emotionally and intellectually. And I just felt challenged and pushed. And I worked with a director who was just a real delight to work with. And, you know, and in those days, in those environments, you just feel like you couldn't be doing a job that could make you any happier at all. And then I've been, you know, really lucky in the last few years, I think, working on plays that I've really loved and I felt really passionate about. I was in a play that was at the Almeida a couple of years ago called The Writer, which was sort of all about me too, really. Um, and again, you just have that experience that you're part, even a small part of like, you know, a conversation that really is sort of shifting or changing the world or part of an enterprise you really you know believe in and that's just so amazing such an invigorating and such an incredibly fortunate um position to be in um i want to talk uh, about the difference in the medium so stage cinema tv um whether you have a favorite and of course you're talking about uh, screen versus theater and if you're doing something which is current and people are engaging with it I guess you get an audience reaction as well but do you have a favorite form or a preferred or what are your experiences across all of them I don't have a favorite form I mean I don't I don't know that many actors who who do I mean I don't know if you feel very differently but like I 
I think actors just want to play good parts, you know? They just want to play good parts with interesting people, you know, and not hate themselves at the end of the day. (laughs) And that can be found in any of the mediums, you know, like obviously film, um, television completely, um, and, you know, theatre as well, of course. I mean, I think... I think that there's a still a um a real compromise that has to be made when you're on screen because there's you know particularly with television I think there's always going to be layers and layers of people who you know have to make a product you know and with theater you know that's where a lot of the artists who work in our industry are made you know the writers you know the people who kind of um are the voices and telling the stories where that's often their training ground. And I think that that can feel like a particularly unique and special place, but you know, it's so hard to make a living in the theater that, you know, you have to, sometimes I think you have to really, really see and appreciate the benefit of, of screen work because um, yeah, that provides people a bit more in the way of sustenance. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, you're quite right. It's, it's very much based on the character, of course. Um, talking about character, Tell us about your process of development and how do you get into a particular role? Uh, I don't have a very interesting or exciting answer to that question, I'm afraid. I think I think that I, I well, I, you work with different directors and different directors require different things. Um, I think on with film, when you're working with filmmakers, you know to a certain extent what the film is going to be before you do it because you've seen the rest of their work. So, you know, in an auteur-led um, uh, uh, part of the industry, you know, you can take your cue. If you're working with a director who's highly visual, you know, you know that it will be your job to be part of a picture, you know, and that you have to be quite inside out you have to be quite sort of maybe ensuring that you're filling in the gaps with your characterization or whatever, because it's not going to come from that. If you work with a director who only cares about character and, you know, the cameraman's just walking around with the camera on, the, on his back hand held and there's no sort of shot construction, then you know that you might have to do more work. Um, I think with plays, it's highly collaborative. So you build your character with the other actors, you know, you work with them to kind of tell a story together and that is a really really important uh so it's more about relationships I think I mean in terms of like on your own character work I think you have to do the sort of basic stuff like who am I where have I come from what do I speak like you know but you would do that sort of more like you know for any for any job it's just that's just your homework but you know more generally I guess you tailor what you do in terms of an actor and to, to what the project is and and who you're working with no I think that's a perfectly interesting answer it's all about the collaboration I guess and who you're working with and developing it together what they want and what you bring to it yeah so from actor to writer director um, and Amulet this is super exciting tell us about your experience directing it yeah well it was a, a great experience um, I think I had wanted I had wanted to move into writing and directing for a really long time but you know writing is different from acting you can't just sort of sit down and write a novel you know it takes years to train to get better at it and um so I mean I had been writing sort of throughout my 20s more or less when I wasn't acting or in the time the sort of spare time that I had um but it just took years to write anything that was you know good enough to show anyone 
And then when I was in my, just, yeah, I was 29, I think I made a short film, um, and that got into Sundance. So that was a, you know, a fantastic kind of opportunity. And then I was able to kind of get my screenplays a bit more out there. And I was writing in lots and lots of different mediums. I was writing lots of different kinds of things. You know, uh, one of the first things I wrote was sort of an elevated sort of ghost story set in the 40s. I did book novel adaptations. I did contemporary things. Um, I, I, I wrote in lots of different sort of styles, N- not really sure how or, or, or you know, it, what was the best way to kind of get something made because it's really, really hard to get something made because um, I wanted to direct something that I'd written. Um, but then I guess when I was kind of in my early 30s, there was this kind of door that started to open up in in horror, particularly for female voices. And I think things like the success of The Babadook kind of really started to kind of make people ask why are there not, well, why, A, why are there not sort of more female directors across the board, which was obviously a massive embarrassment for the industry, but also why are there not more women working in this particular, you know, part of the industry? Because horror can be quite cheap to do and always makes money. You know, it's a, there's a reliable audience out there for it. Um, so I wrote a horror film and that was Amulet. And I, you know, I love horror. I've always been a big fan, but it wasn't the sort of first place that I went to because I think I was writing a lot, imagining the kind of films that I'd acted in. That was the kind of canvas that I had. So I was doing, you know, novel adaptations and period things, although some of them with a sort of supernatural edge. Um, but then, yeah, I saw this kind of opening and that's when I sat down to write to write Amulet, which would have been, you know, five or six years ago now um, and sort of culminated in us shooting it in 2018. And then it was in Sundance in 2019 and then um, a little known uh, virus <laughs> called COVID uh, took over. So here we are a couple of years later, finally, um, yeah, about to release it. Which is super. So when um, when is it being released? Do we have a rough idea of dates? Yeah, it's coming out in January sort of the latter latter part of 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 January in in uh, coming to a cinema near you yeah the end of January do you think your work behind the camera prepared you for directing uh i think it it did and it it didn't i mean in some ways it was interesting going on to set to direct amulet because well in, in some ways i was one of the people on the crew that had the most number of set hours you know like i I'd, I'd been in and around film and television sets for, you know, almost 20 years when I directed, or exactly 20 years when I came to direct it, which is, you know, not insignificant amount of time. But obviously, how you interact as an actor with with the art form is very limited, you know, like you're not around necessarily when they set up the cameras, although you can choose to be, and I certainly was doing that more the, the, the older I got in the industry. But you're not involved in post at all. I'd never been in an edit suite. I had never um, had anything to do with sound design. So those were all very new things. Um, so I loved it. It was incredible experience. I am desperate to do more. But it was also, you know, a really challenging learning curve as well. And, you know, a very invigorating one. But, um, yeah, it, there were definitely things I had to learn, you know, from scratch, as it were. Yeah. Would you choose horror again for a, a next film that you would make? Yeah, I really would. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very eclectic in my tastes and interests. I think I, I, I prefer dark pieces of work. You know, I like 
quite dark dramas. I like the supernatural. I like horror. You know, I like the macabre. But but I'm quite broad in my tastes. But I don't really see a huge amount of distinction in a lot of genres, really. I, th- I think that those distinctions are becoming less and less relevant to cinema in a way. And I think you know, a good film is a good film. And, and I would, I would love to direct more horror, you know, just as I would, you know, there are other things like 19th century novels that I would love to, to, to adapt and, and, and direct. If it's interesting, it's interesting. And I'm sort of very open. Um, but horror, I think is always, you know, when you have to sit in a room and say to somebody, can you give me some money with horror? At least, you know, that there are people who are loyal to it as an art form and who will watch it and who will come. And that really helps. Do you think there's more of an appetite then for horror compared to period pieces? I think that they're similar in that they have a following, you know, like you can, you you can, I I very, very rarely get recognised, but if I do, someone will come up to me and go, oh, you were in Emma, you know, because I was in an adaptation of Jane Austen's Emma. Like there is a loyal following for period dramas. And and it's similar with horror. I think there are people who just absolutely love the art form, you know, and will sort of absorb as much of it as they can. And that means a huge amount when you're trying to make work because you know that there's someone somewhere who's going to buy it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you've got acting, directing, Um, writing all under your belt but there are inevitably with this career ups and downs how do you deal with that in I mean in any career but how do you deal with that oh that's a that's a very good question um I think I think that well I don't know how how relevant this is for other careers but I think in the creative industries the thing that I have really had to learn and it's been a hard lesson and painful and difficult and I still haven't mastered is separating what you need to survive, what you want to create as an artist, and how much external validation you get, you know? Like, those are such different things, and they need to be treated very differently. And you need to go into every enterprise knowing why you're doing it and what you hope to get out of it, you know? If you make a film and you're spending the whole time that you're making it thinking oh, if it doesn't get five stars in time out, then the whole enterprise has been a waste of time, <laughs> then you you don't deserve to be there, you know? You don't deserve to have the opportunity because you're supposed to be pleasing yourself. You're supposed to be making art, you know, in the old-fashioned sense of that word, which means having a unique perspective and not caring what other people think, you know? But then you have to make money. You have to survive. You have to, you know, pay a mortgage. You have to raise your kids, you know? And that Again, that's a different thing. And you, if you go into an enterprise with that goal in mind, then you can't be spanning around, you know, moaning about, you know, how, I don't know, they're using the wrong pens, you know, they're not period pens or whatever, because you think, well, this isn't, that's not why I'm here, you know, I'm here to ensure that everybody has clean uniforms on. You know, you have to sort of know what you're doing with your time and make sure to kind of keep those different parts of yourself happy and also separate. I don't know if that's a very articulate way of putting it. I think that's really, really interesting the way you put it. And I think if people did that more, actually, you'd go, that's my goal and that's what I want to achieve. And also, you mentioned validation. Being in the creative industry, that's such a big part of it. It's kind of trying to get that validation for what you're doing. And if you can get over that or find a way around it, then that's it's really important. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the, the way that the industry rewards the people within the industry is obviously 
it's just entirely subjective, you know. And I think there's a very good argument to be made that if the maximum number of people have all agreed that they like something, then it's probably not a very challenging piece of work and, you know, that that should be treated with a certain amount of kind of um, suspicion. And so, yeah, I think that kind of external validation is obviously a large part of why people are attracted to the industry, you know, myself included. But then, you know, you have to be suspicious of that as well. Um, talking about validation, <laughs> you have been nominated for multiple awards. Oh, well, my awards are all, of course, entirely valid and we're 100% deserved. And <laughs> yeah. But do, do you find that kind of recognition affirming? Yeah. I mean, anyone who told you it wasn't affirming would be lying. <laughs> it's very affirming. It's lovely. Everybody wants, you know, everybody wants to be the kid at the end of the party with a big prize, don't they? You know, like you want to... Uh, you want to be the person who unwrapped the uh, the last piece of the um, past the parcel, um, but you know you get older and you. I think you you're a fool if you don't realise that that's what it is. You know, it's past the parcel. Somebody has to get the big prize. You know, so it's wonderful. It's very affirming. If I've ever been nominated, it's been completely the right decision by everybody involved. <laughs> but I mean, you'd be an idiot if you were forty and you didn't realise that it was. You know, it is just like a kid's party yeah agreed well very well deserved anyway um <laughs> what are you working on now or what would you like to work on next uh well i i did a uh one season of a tv show called becoming elizabeth which is coming out in the new year on stars which is about elizabeth the first uh, when she was sort of a teenager, and I'm playing the part of Mary Tudor, who was Mary the First, who was her um, older sister, and it's a really fantastic role. She's an incredibly interesting woman, so I would love to do that again. So if we, we get to do another season of that show, um, and I'm doing a lot of writing, writing lots of film scripts and TV scripts, and I have tried to write a play this year, which I've never done before, in all sorts of different kinds of mediums. So I want to do more directing um and yeah and I would and, and I would love to act in a play because I haven't obviously like any of us in a, <laughs> in a couple of years and I really miss it um and somehow it's sort of more painful now that we're actually able to go and see plays it was sort of all right when no one was doing them but now some people are doing them and then that's now it's really painful <laughs> Yeah, I went to see my first play just not so long ago after so long. And oh my gosh, it was so wonderful to be just sat in a theatre with that energy and watching these wonderful actors on stage. It was brilliant. Yeah, my critical faculties have just like completely fallen away because I'm just so happy to to be there watching the theatre again. And I was so worried that it was just going to sort of go away and and never come back and we were going to be you know watching NT live for the rest of our lives not that I'm not happy that NT live is in the world but you know nothing beats actually you know being in the room my final question what type of work or stories would you like to see more of on our screens or stages oh that's such a that's such a great question I mean I think I mean, this is probably a very hackneyed response, but I watched I May Destroy You, the Michaela Cole in lockdown, and I had never seen anything like that on television ever. Um, I don't think I'd ever seen anything that was as um, bold in its um, intentions, that was as kind of broad in its genre. You know, quite often I was watching it and I was thinking, I don't know whether this is a whodunit or if this is a drama 
or I, I don't know, you know, and I was so invigorated to be in that space. And it felt incredibly authored in that, you know, I really was conscious that it was a complete piece of work made by an individual person who'd been supported by, you know, in this case, the BBC to make that piece of work, you know, and I'm just always on the lookout for that. I'm just always really excited to see pieces of work made by individual and unique voices who've been given the support by broadcasters to really fulfill whatever it is that they want, you know, because, you know, audiences will tell you what they want and then you get the same thing over and over and over again. But you have to have, you know, some courage and allow a couple of things to maybe not completely work to then get a piece which is like a gold-plated work of genius, you know. Um, So, yeah, I'm up for seeing more of that kind of thing. That's great. And I guess it's also really important that broadcasters support it. Yeah, because it's risky. It's a risk for them and, you know, maybe audiences for two. It's maybe risky for audiences to sit there and think, I'm not sure what I'm watching. You know, it's not a true crime thing. You know, it's, I don't know what it is. It's sort of funny, but also dark. But in that experience, I think there are such rewards of, um, you know, allowing not just different stories, but allowing the kind of universality of the human experience to come through, you know, the fact that the human experience is not just one thing. And I, yeah, I, I, I loved watching that show and I'd love to see more things like that on television. Well, I hope you make some of it as well. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. It's such a pleasure to speak to you. Thanks so much for having me, Sheena. It was really, really nice to catch up. And I can't wait to see Amulet, so I wish you the best of luck with that. Yes, please. I hope I hope uh, people enjoy it. It's quite scary. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please do rate and review us. Catch you next time. <laughs>